Before we get started with the show, we've got our first sponsor that I would like to, to thank. Uh, the team at Cloud Africa is going to be sponsoring our bandwidth. If you are looking for high-performance cloud servers that are fast, secure, and reliable, check out cloudafrica.net. Thank you very much, guys, for sponsoring the bandwidth. I really do appreciate it. So welcome to episode nine of the ZA Dev Chat podcast. My name is Stephen MacDonald, and tonight we are going to be speaking to Justinus Adriansa about We Think Code. Um, hopefully, later on in the show, Arlene Mulder will be joining us, um, his co-founder. Um, and yeah, so tonight's panel is myself, Len Weinsier. How's it? Uh, Peter Germeseis. Hello, we've got power. <laughs> and Justinus Adriansa. Always good to chat to you guys. Cool. So let's let's go with um, Justinus. Um, could you give us a, a bit of an intro to who you are, what you do, and, and your, your history? Sure. Um, just as I said my intro, I thought a better one would have been let's keep the lights on. Um, and I think the reason why let's keep the lights on is probably appropriate is I think one of the reasons we were motivated to to start um, and work on We Think Code is that we, we fundamentally believe that we need to create a country that works for all its citizens. And unless we successfully contribute to, to go towards a country that works for all its citizens, then we're going to struggle to keep the lights on and keep the country working. But we'll get to that a bit later. So my own history, I was uh, born and bred in Pretoria. I'm officially, I think, almost certified as the world's biggest Blue Bull fan. Um, and um, sort of grew up in Pretoria, went to school here, went to study. And then um, all sort of halfway through my first year, realized that um, maybe, maybe civil engineering is not going to be a good fit for me. So I decided um, to... to um, to change course and sort of move to starting studying more part-time and that's when I got involved in a business called private property so this was back in sort of mid of 2000 before the worst of the dot-com bubble and then um, and then worked at private property for about 12 years and started joined the business when there was like I think we were five people and six people getting going and the um, sort of business started to sell franchises. So myself and three other friends bought a franchise in Pretoria, grew the business from there, eventually moved to Cape Town, started up the business there, then got involved with the head office, helped that the business grow, moved back to Pretoria, then moved to Durban, and basically spent um, up to 2012 at private property. In that course of those 12 years, we've, um, we've had our um, sort of up and downs and the business grew nicely and we raised quite a few rounds of funding from overseas investors. And then in 2012, I just realized that I wanted to sort of change pace. Actually, probably mostly as a result of joining an organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, um, I sort of started to reevaluate my sort of path in life and where I wanted to go and specifically around what my sort of family and personal goals would be and then it was also just after our second child was born and then I decided to change course and left left private property took a break for a while went skiing because I'm a big avid skier as well and then once we came back from the first long ski trip I decided I wanted to code I really love software related businesses and I want to probably spend the rest of my life in that environment. And I, I had never written a line of code myself ever before. So that's when I decided to, to learn how to code. And then um, from there, went to Chicago, went to a boot camp called um, Starter League. And once uh, I got back, sort of um, actually got back, we went skiing again. And then last year, uh, towards April, when we got back after the ski season, um, uh, convinced Sean probably against his best judgment to allow me to become an intern at, at Platform 45 and I've just enjoyed the journey from there tremendously learned to code, worked as an intern for a few months, became a sort of billable um, developer and has been there ever since 
That is that. That's a really interesting story. So I met you at Ruby D Camp last year in September or so, and I I never would have known that you had such you know such an interesting history. I mean, I I, I think we spoke about baseball sports in the U.S., but I, I never I never quite grasped how that all came together. That is really really cool. You went to the boot camp. You've joined Platform 45. You worked as an intern, and now, by the sounds of it, you're a, a fully-fledged dev there. Um, what prompted... So, more importantly, what is We Think Code? Okay, so We Think Code is what we think is going to be, a, a, hopefully, a game-changer. Something that we can use, a tool that, that we can try and start to fundamentally shift uh, a bit of the direction of the country. It's going to be a free, completely free of tuition, peer-to-peer based, no teacher, no textbook, almost university looking to aim, uh, aiming to educate mostly unprivileged um, kids um, to become world-class programmers. Um, The idea is to base it and we're licensing, licensing a model from a school called 42 in Paris that's been going for a few years and that's had absolutely phenomenal results. And we want to try and replicate it here. We want to, our mission, um, well, first of all, our vision is to sort of deliver on Africa's human potential. And we believe the best way for us to contribute towards that vision is to try and source and develop 100,000 Um, world-class programmers from the African continent over the course of the next 10 to 20 years. So that's sort of the the goal that we want to work towards. That is, that is a really lofty ambition and and a very admirable um, ambition as well. So I, after you sent through the link, I was having a look at, um, at this, this university in, in France and it, it was very interesting. The, the idea of having a university that that has no teachers, it, it sounds scary almost, <laughs> you know. So, you know, how are these kids going to learn? Because now we're we, we looking at in it in an African context, we've got disadvantaged kids that have never used a computer before yeah. that don't know how to use a mouse, Let's let's say. You know, how are they going to... How are they that. going to, you know, get going? It's 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 a fascinating story, and I mean, we visited um, forty two in Paris in January, and I think we were relatively excited about the idea before we went. But once we visited them, our minds were just completely blank. Um, so, I mean, I think the best way to answer your question specifically is that the whole model. I've gone to the extremes in, in try, I mean, first of all, they've been working, the actual guys who developed the curriculum have been working on this for 15 years to find a way to, you know, to use technology to enable people to learn more from each other than from sort of one source of truth standing in front of a classroom. And I think they've, they've sort of over, over 15 years perfected this model um, to an a, a amazing extent. Um, but I mean, it, it also, it's got the two components, right? It's the sourcing as well as the developing. And if we look at those two things, I mean, we often talk, um, when we talk to potential sponsors about this Harvard problem. So if you understand that, uh, oh, sorry, maybe even before I get there, there's two fundamental assumptions that we're building the school on. The first is that the aptitude to become a quality programmer is pretty much normally and equally distributed around the globe. So in any sort of sample, sufficiently sample size you can take anywhere in the world, there is going to be the same more more or less distribution of people's ability, just natural ability in reasoning and logic and everything that's necessary to become a quality developer. The challenge is that the sort of path and the opportunities to become a world-class developer is not evenly distributed at all. The average guy with the right abilities growing... um, up in New York is going to have a lot more opportunities to become a world-class developer compared to somebody in Soweto. So the idea is because of those two things, if we can f- if we can source and find the people with the right abilities and have a screening process that tests for, for a few things, including their ability to become world-class programmers, and we can give them access to a, a program that's going to ha- have them interact with other people 
that, um, that's got the same abilities, then wonderful things can happen. Um, so if we get back to the sort of Harvard problem, is, so a disproportionate number of Fortune 500 executives are people who come from Harvard. Is that because Harvard has got a program superior to everybody else in the world? Or is that because they get all the best people wanting to apply to them and they get to pick the best of the best? And because they pick the best of the best, those people are already destined to become world-class leaders or whatever vocation they, they choose to follow. And if, if, we, if we look at the sort of 3.4 million people between the ages of 18 and 29 in South Africa alone that's unemployed, there in that 3.4 million people is tens of thousands, potentially even hundreds of thousands or more people with the basic aptitude to potentially become world-class programmers. What we need to be able to do is somehow tap into that, find those people, screen them really well, and then expose them to what we believe a world-class curriculum is. So, so the idea of screening, screening the people. So, so obviously, most of the people that you want to attract are, like you said, previously disadvantaged people, people that don't have the money to go and study at university or college or or, or something like that. Um, I'm sure a lot of these people wouldn't even have computers at home. So sure. your screening process wouldn't be about current technical ability, no. um, current ability. And from what I've read uh, about the 42 stuff, I mean, a lot of the people that go to 42, you know, didn't even finish high school, which kind of matches you know, the South African context pretty well. There are a lot of people that don't finish high school. So how do you screen these people? Are they basic aptitude tests? Or is there something else that you're looking for? So this is quite amazing. So in the sort of like a few things you said that's important. Firstly, that obviously it'll be free of charge. So there's nothing, no cost involved for the student. The only requirement for the student is that he passes and gets through the application process, which is quite rigorous, and I'll explain that now. The second thing is that doesn't matter what happened or what didn't happen in his life before he starts the application. He can have no formal schooling. He can have a criminal record. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is he must be able to complete the application process. So the application process is quite rigorous, and it's trying to test for three things the basic aptitude to become a world-class programmer, the ability to learn in a specific way in the peer-to-peer environment that that he's going to have to um, be in. Because not all people that necessarily have the ability are able to learn in the peer-to-peer environment. Some people need instruction. Some people are going to need a, a textbook. And the third thing is trying to screen out the guys with insufficient ambition or drive to be able to complete the process. So with those three things in mind, the way they designed the application process in France is you start off playing an online game. It takes you about 15 hours to finish this game. You can break that up in sessions so you don't have to do it all at once. But it takes about 15 hours to play the game. And the objective of the game is not be clearly stated to you when you begin. So you start the game not knowing what the end result is you need to achieve, and part of the learning is whether you can figure out what the objective is and then achieve them. If you come through this 15-hour process, then you get invited to something which they call in France um, the swimming pool. We're still looking for a more appropriate name for our context. But this is a fit, basically a four-week close to 24 hours a day intensive application process that is obviously relatively relentless. So with the game, that obviously is the only part that you need to be able to access the internet um, from any uh, personal sort of device. So we're still working on plans. There's lots of um, programs in townships and schools and libraries that we'll work with to help get people access to the internet for the game part. But once you've come to the game part and you do the actual swimming pool, you're going to come to a campus that we'll establish, and you'll do that whole 30-day process on our campus. The way the 30-day process is is sort of designed to already start teaching you some of the fundamentals of programming and logic and thinking as you go. But also, again, it's testing for those three things. Aptitude, your ability to learn in a peer-to-peer environment, and your ambition and drive to finish the application process. So what you do is you start on day one at 8 o'clock, you get your first assignment, 
you get a little bit of instruction and a relatively easy task. Every morning at 8 o'clock you get a new task that needs to be submitted the following day at 4 o'clock. So in the first day you get sort of sufficient instruction with a relatively easy um, with a relatively easy um, task. Um, and progressively the uh, instructions get less and the um, uh, sort of difficulty level of the task increases every day. After about a week or so, the task is actually too difficult for one person to be able to do on its own and you, um, you need to figure out that now you need to start talking to other people to be able to, to finish it. And then another few days later, it's too difficult or too much work for two people to do and you need to start working in bigger groups. So again, it tests that you have the ability that you can function in the peer-to-peer -peer environment and then obviously because it's relentless for almost 30 days it makes sure that you can um, that you can persist and you can do it successful wow. okay I think I think the one thing that I heard that is quite key is um, the fact that the students or the potential students would need access to the internet for that initial 15-hour game um, that's gonna probably be a deal breaker isn't it uh, just repeat that. Repeat that. Oh, sorry. Um, so the one thing that struck me as uh, quite an important thing is the fact that um, the, the potential students would need access to the internet to play that initial fifteen-hour game. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so, so obviously we need sufficient. So, I mean, I don't know if you know, but there's quite a few of NGO um, uh, sort of organisations aimed at high school level students, giving them access in their schools, in their libraries, mm. free Wi-Fi at the schools. So we believe that there's enough initiatives that will give us um, places on the ground that we can point people to. Um, that's assuming we can't get the game to be fully functional on a mobile phone, which will obviously be first price as well. Mm. Okay. So I, I think something that will give us a bit of context is what is the, what is the time scale that you're aiming at here? Because this sounds like you've probably got another year or two set up to do before you can really get going. Yeah, great question. By the way, Arlene is on the call, so maybe just if she can say hi. Hi, Arlene. How's it going? How's it going? Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much. No, great to be here. Yeah, the, the, so um, Justinus has just been running us through um, part of the, the, the entry process, and this sounds incredible. The, 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 the thought, so initially I thought that this is going to be really difficult because you're going to have tons and tons and tons of, of applicants, but this process, to me, it really sounds like you're going to be almost weeding out the people that wouldn't succeed in the long run. You're finding those developers, those potential developers that have got that persistence, that have got that drive to keep going. I'm absolutely in love with this idea. I've never heard of it before. How, um, Justinus and Arlene, how did, how did you both um, come across this? Yeah, absolutely. We believe that we're really going to, we're going to get the guys who really want to do this, that's really motivated and passionate to do this. And um, I don't know if Justinus um, explained exactly, but it's about 15 hours to do this first online test. So we're not just going to get someone that's going to spend five minutes to do this sort of free online test. It's someone that's really, they're passionate about wanting to solve problems and they want to come back every day. And it's almost like playing a game and wanting to get a high score in a game and coming back every day, spending this 15 hours passionate about solving problems and you know that excited feeling that you get when you finally get something and you, you solve a problem. So we're really wanting to get to get those guys and um, to, to get back to where we found this. Um, it's, a, it's a school that's started in Paris and it's amazing work that's already been going on for three years and we think that they've perfected this whole model of finding these incredibly motivated and talented guys who really passionate about this industry and and we really love this model that they have in in Paris and that's what we're basing basing some of the fundamentals of our schools of our school on how many students 
are, are you looking at having in a given year or, or, or a given period uh, for, for, for tutoring? Um, so, I mean, if I could answer that, I think we sort of, we understand that what we're getting from Paris will probably be 80 or 90% of what we need to make it work in this context. And the other 20 to 10 to 20%, we need to make sure we make it work in the, in the African context. So sort of being a, from sort of a lean methodology fan and, a, and an agile fan, our idea is to sort of pilot it over the next 18 months do a small intake of about 100 um, actual students. So obviously the numbers for the swimming pool and the application would need to be appropriately bigger, more or less based on the drop-offs they've seen in, in Paris. So if we, could, if we could run the pilot of the next 18 months, make sure we do 100 students, customize the content, customize the processes, make sure we make it work sufficiently in this context, then we'll try and scale up to a, hopefully 1,000 students within a year or two after that. And if all goes well, even bigger after that, maybe um, the dream would be to try and get eventually to 5,000 students per year. Wow, 5,000. So, so the, where are you guys looking at? So, I mean, obviously, everything's not, not going right sure. now. But have you guys earmarked a, a location that, that you're looking at? I think that ideally we obviously want to do it in Joburg, uh, um, as Joburg being a sort of economically the hub of the country. So currently we're considering um, around Braamfontein and potentially um, try and integrate it as much with a sort of technology hub uh, at um, Tech and Braam and see what see what we can do. Because um, we also believe it must be part of a bigger ecosystem, right? So. Eventually, hopefully, potential tech businesses will come out of this, tech employment and everything that goes with it. So it needs to be as part of the industry and the community as we can possibly make it. So one of the things, and I don't know if I was reading it correctly with 42 in, in, in Paris, is that each student gets given a Mac. Does that Mac actually go home with them or does that stay on campus? Yeah, it's amazing. So these guys have done so much research it's ridiculous so when they set up the system at the beginning they wanted to check what the that sort of cheap best lowest cost of total ownership is for setting up the campus so it's imac so it's bolted to the desk in the school the students can't take them home but it's accessible to the students 24 hours a day seven days a week but when they just had to decide what machines to put in there they literally did total cost of ownership analysis which included the cost of the machine the cost of replacing that machine every three years, the power usage that the machine will have, the heat that the machine will give off, and the resulting increase or decrease in aircon that the building would need to have um, to be able to maintain 750 of these machines in one room. And they, with the deal that Apple gave them to, to repurchase back the old machines and give them new ones every three years, the iMac actually worked, all things considered, to be the cheapest total cost of ownerships. So that's what they went through. Obviously, the visual effect of that is unbelievable. The setup when you walk in there, it feels like you're walking into a 21st century um, Silicon Valley business, the way it's set up. So it's, it's quite amazing to see the setup and to go in there. And it gives the students a sense of pride and accomplishment. And it motivates them and it inspires them to do the best they can. And that's the sort of environment that we want to try and create as well where yeah. students can be inspired and have the ability to learn and to do their best and to hopefully contribute to changing the country and the, and the course of the continent. That is that is really great because my, my, my one concern, because I, I kind of read it as they almost get given max, and my one concern was, and it's a very cynical concern, I do concede that, is that the students would take these computers home to families you know so a lot of these a lot of these kids will be from disadvantaged backgrounds sure. and their families might not quite approve you know yeah. not, not just approve mm. but you know if a family is struggling to eat and a 17 year old comes home with a 12,000 rand laptop you yeah. know that laptop's going to get sold and so, you- so but so the idea of having the mac um, you know, at the at the campus, not only is you know this view of all of these these iMacs and this nice environment, not only is that appealing, you know, financially, it, it's also a better 
a better option. Yeah, and also the the whole model is based on peer-to-peer learning. So we want the students to be in the same place and learning from each other and work together in solving problems. And the whole model is based around there's no teachers, so the students have to solve these problems together. So we want them to come into the campus and work together. So if you give them laptops to go home, they might work on the problems alone at home, but we want them to be on campus working together in this incredible environment, learning from each other and coming up with incredible ideas together. Also, an interesting point you bring up, Steve, is the, um, is the sort of the opportunity cost. Even though the education would be free, if you're coming from an underprivileged family and you are between 18 and 30, you are potentially their best chance at an income. So the opportunity cost, even if the education is for free, of giving up three years is a major investment for that kid. So what we're going to try and do is, as part of the corporate sponsorships that we're looking to raise for every student, includes a stipend for the student for the first year of about 25,000 rand, so close to two, just a little bit more than 2,000 rand a month that he will get to do transport and to contribute to his family at home. And then in year two and three, four months of the year, they will spend doing internship and earning a salary that they can use to to pay some of their living expenses for years two and three. So we understand that that's also a big challenge. If everything goes well and, and, and the school is hugely successful, potentially um, like they're actually doing in Paris at the moment, is looking to actually get a building close to the school, which they turn into a dormitory, and, and then they can actually give the students accommodation as well. But I think two interesting points as well is the fact that in Paris they've been able to get the cost of educating the student. Well, well let me ask you this way. The, the cost of educating, putting somebody through university in South Africa, including state subsidies, just for academia, not living costs or anything else, uh, is close to 150,000 rand. Why do you think the average cost per student per year is in Paris in, at 42? Oof. I, I, I would guess... I, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. My, my my knowledge of European stuff is so so limited. So, so even is in the, the is that the cost per like session per like forty days or whatever it is. No, no. That's so. That's the course. So the actual course is three years. So once I've come through the swimming pool, they yeah. say, well, well, maybe important to say is, is the whole idea behind us is learn as fast as you can. So so the guy who's completed the course the fastest has done it in eight months, but the average oh. is two to three years. But their cost, the point I was trying to make, of actually per student per year is 2,000 euros, which let's convert it to plus minus 35,000 rand, which is already almost wow. a, fifth, a fifth of what the tertiary education costs in South Africa. We believe in, in our context, but in the long term, we can get the cost per student per year to 15,000 rand, which is a tenth of what it costs to send somebody to university and what wow. we believe. They can get, they can learn some skills and and stuff that's going to be more appropriate to their career than what they potentially can learn at university. And if we can produce better students with a better skills and better education for a tenth of the price of what the universities can do, then the universities are in trouble. So here's a question that is going to pop up um, for me. What's the accreditation? I'm sorry, you broke up, Peter, but I assume the question is around uh, accreditation and whether we're going to work towards accreditation. So that's a quite a complicated, um, complicated subject because obviously there will be great advantages in getting accreditation, um, but there's also lots of bureaucratic disadvantages. So our predominantly aim is to produce, take to source the, the aptitude and brightest kids we can give them a world-class education, but send them out into the world with actual skills that's relevant to the careers and jobs they're going to have to fill. As long as we can make sure we still achieve that and, and we can get accreditation as well, we will do that, but we don't want it to, uh, accreditation to interfere with with what we need to do. And we, we're also partnering the students with corporates from the start, and they're doing real internships with corporates from the start so they have this path to employment from the start even yeah. though we not we're not a formal degree they have corporate partners from the start do internships get real work experience from the start and have this real path to employment from from day one 
Okay, that's the that's the key point I was trying to make or trying to gauge from um, the roadmap with regards to getting these students into the working world. Yep. Yeah, that's very important to us, and that's also why we we want to keep the curriculum and everything that they learn. It it's relevant. It's new. It's fresh. We can we can update the curriculum on a daily basis if need be. So if there's something new out there, we want to include it in our curriculum. And all the projects will be real-world projects that um, we work together with our corporate partners to incorporate those projects and students submit projects and it, everything just remains relevant. And that's really important. And to, to have it demand-driven and relevant to the industry is very, very important to us. So, so that's that's awesome. I, one thing that's important as well is, like these guys, the amount of thought and and stuff they've done is insane. So, when we were there, I asked the academic director, looking for a sort of answer like around what technology stack you base the sort of learning on, and and I asked him the question. So, why do they actually learn in the three years here? And he said, you know what. Actually, we try and teach them nothing but enable them to do everything. So their ambition is, so yes, they use three or four different stacks with five or six different languages, a few, a .NET here and a, um, another object-orientated open source language there and a um, functional language here. But what they really want to do is give these guys the ability to come out of the school, walk into any environment, potentially with a set of technologies that they've never used before and they must be able to pick it up in the shortest possible time and be productive as quickly as quickly as they can. So it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's quite an amazing approach. But I mean, as Arlene said, uh, this whole integrating with the employment community and potential startups and all of that, they've also taken to the extreme. So most of the work the students do is project-based. Those projects are open to anybody to contribute. So one of you, if you could read and understand French, could go to 42 now in Paris, register on their site, and actually start contributing potential projects for the students to do. You can go and review some of the work the students have done, give them feedback, tell them how they potentially can do it better. And obviously, we want to try and embrace the same thing in South Africa, where we get as big a part of the community involved in this effort to contribute projects. Corporates can contribute projects. The students can obviously then do those projects and um, and get feedback from not only the other peers in the in the school, but even from people outside of the environment. Yeah. So I, I there's only as I. I'm absolutely in love with the idea and I do think that this is something that is going to take off. I think it's going to be really successful. The one thing I really like about it, there is no set technology stack. You've got a problem. You find something that is relevant to solve that problem. So really? students coming out of that will be a lot more up to date than what univer what some university students will be. So we've actually got an upcoming show next week discussing exactly this you know as a developer do you need a university education is that something are you getting value out of that are you not what the, the one thing that that is going through in my head with all of this so you've got these students you've got a bunch of guys girls together that have absolutely no idea about dev give them a problem they solve the problem they get going so my one my one nitpick with this right is since there are no tutors around how are they going to learn best practices or is this a case of we're going to give you the power to you know the, we're going to give you the information and and help you you know learn how to solve problems and once you're on the job and once you can be productive then you start learning best practices at that point can i can i jump in there uh, Go for it. yeah, yeah. Um, the, the best practices are really not that interesting as a potential client of this process. I mean, I'd love to you know, get some of the guys coming out of it. I'd, I'd hire them in a flash. Uh, from the sounds of, of what you're going through with them, it sounds perfect for us. Um, often I have to sort of untrain people from quote-unquote best practices. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I really want them to be able to solve problems. Yeah. So, you know, so the, the so world's changing changes. very fast, and they just need to be able to adapt. That's yeah. so key. So, uh, so, so the, the, that's that's a key thing. I think two things. There are mentors. The ratio of mentors they have in Paris is about one to hundred to hundred and fifty. So there is guys that if two or three students work on something and they get stuck, that they especially in the beginning, and um, the mentors over time. Once you have students 
six months or 12 months or 24 months down the road in the in the curriculum obviously the more advanced students will will help the beginners so then the mentors become even less relevant um, and what they also do is this it's amazing the whole process is managed through the system that they built so the first day you come to class after you've gone to the swimming pool you're now ready to start the course there's no welcome speech there's no gathering you come whenever you want to during the day you go sit in front of one of the Macs it says click here and from that point on your whole education journey is managed through the system it says okay the first thing you're going to do is learn how to say hello world in let's say for argument say JavaScript you get a little tutorial you do that and you learn the basic of one or one sort of language and now it says okay here's a list of projects pick one of them and try and do it with the knowledge you've acquired. Once you've done it, you submit it to GitHub, and you, uh, as soon as you've submitted it to GitHub, other students will start looking at it, give you feedback, mm. and that's how the learning process goes. I, I think that's absolutely brilliant, because I really think there's like too much focus on the language itself, rather than the, the sort of aptitude and the problem-solving ability that's really needed. Yeah. And yeah, also, absolutely. What they also do that that's phenomenal is the um, so so they have these guides every few weeks or might be month or two where you basically do a test. So what they also learned is that when you do projects as a in a in a pair or in a group, then a lot of times you think you know things that you might not know. So every few weeks there's a test and it's just a binary guide, right? You either pass or yeah. you fail. You don't get a mark. You can either do what you need to be able to do to progress, or you can't, which means you try again in a few weeks' time. And so as you progress throughout the process, there's these guides that you need to jump through, and every progressive guide, you, you need to show that you've acquired the knowledge. But and I mean, then do the, do the teams reform with uh, the students who've progressed through the certain stages? So you've now got, like I've gone through three stages successfully, but other guys haven't. Sure, the teams form yeah, because they've also solved those problems, right? But also what happens is the teams form naturally. So a lot of times you'll have people at different stages, like you would have in a pair programming in a, in a, in a normal company with a senior and a junior guy, and the junior guy often learn more from the senior guy, but sometimes even the senior guy learns from the junior guy. So the teams form naturally, and, and sometimes people sort of stay in the same team. Sometimes they pick a new project and they have new team. So those things are a lot of allowed to form freely inside the school uh, as necessary. But I mean, at the end of the day, if we can find enough bright people, basically give them access to Google and a bunch of projects they can do and, yeah. and just allow them to create an environment where this can happen, the, the most of the actual heavy lifting is done by the people themselves. Okay, this is very interesting to me because, um, sure, like many years ago, almost 15 years ago now, I worked in a company where we built teams for companies, pretty much in a similar model, although the, the output was a fully formed team for a company. For example, the team that built eBucks, the original eBucks. Oh, awesome. Was, yeah, it was built by the company that I worked on. We did a, a very, very similar, a whole bunch of aptitude tests um, and then went through, so I think it was about three months worth of on-the-ground training. But the question I wanted to get to was at the end of that process, we, we got them into a team. We, we found out who was a leader in that team so that we could deliver, say, a group of five or ten developers who were already functioning as a team yeah. at the output. And I think that was quite a nice model, you know, especially yeah. for the, some of the big companies. They're saying, right, we want a Java team to, to help on our system. Yep. But we need five people. We don't just want, you know, like five random people. It's really nice if we can have five people who've already been working. That's actually it's amazing. I haven't, even, I haven't even considered that as a selling point to corporates, but you're right. That might be a brilliant selling point saying, listen, if you sponsor five students, by the end of this process, you'll have five people you can employ that's worked together, that's learned together, that will be able to solve the problems you throw at them as a team. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was a big selling point for us, and, and we got a lot of uptake. At one stage, I think we had about 40 or 50 people in for about four different companies. Oh, awesome. Um, Great idea. Know, so so the, a very similar model with you guys. It was, they're all mixed up in the middle, but only in the last sort of month of the process did they actually form into uh, teams around 
what was also key was we, we made projects that suited their potential work environment. For the last, the last project was very yeah. specific. So if they were going into a .NET shop, they would make sure they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they'd done all the other stuff, they got some kind of hands-on experience, so they could kind of literally leave on the last Friday, walk in on the Monday to the company. Contribute. And, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. So the the one thing that 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 really gets me excited about right is the guys walking in and contributing immediately. So I I didn't go to university, but I did go to uh, I did go to college for a year. And the one thing that always blew my mind in the first in the first few years of my career is that when I got paired up with an honors student from university, very often that honors student would have all the theory in the world, right? But they had absolutely no idea how to actually get started, how to actually code something. They completely understood what inheritance was, and they completely understood, you know, how to do everything in theory. But practically, you know, they'd worked on one project at university, and you could see that they were the person that didn't actually, you know, hack the code out, right? Yeah. And for the first few yeah. months, they really, really struggled. And once they got a feel for the code, you know, then that training came through. And, and, and what, but for the first while, you know, you didn't really gain much from them. Whereas a lot of the guys that I saw that were self-taught or that went to college or, you know, even attended a simple Microsoft course, you know, a one-week course or something, they seem to be more effective from the get-go. So now you've got this whole group of people that have been working together on various problems using various technology stacks over the course of two to three years. This is going to disrupt the, the current, you know, tech education system in the country. The universities are going to be forced to change the way they work they're going to be forced to you know get up to date and to actually start producing students that don't only have that theoretical knowledge but have that practical knowledge that can come in and can actually do something from day one and yeah, well, Stephen, Stephen, I, I think you're walking into a minefield there I mean it's like which, which university are you talking about um, <laughs> You know, I've I've worked with guys who didn't do computer science, for example, that did electrical engineering, oh, and they were they they were just they were great. You know, the, yeah, the mathematician guys I worked with just picked up languages, you know, like for lunch. You know, they yeah. were like, oh, this is math; it's no problem. Um, you know, I was kind of blown away by that. Uh, yeah. Computer science degrees, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, they're a challenge to put the curriculum. Them together, but the one point I think that's important not to gloss over is a lot of the computer science background stuff is important. Data structures are important, you know, especially when you get to more than just Rails create an application. Yes. Uh, yeah, you, you you need to know like what a tree is or you know a doubly linked list and that kind of stuff. So it's it's tricky balancing that. But I think we, we really agree with that, and that's why the course, when you start off, it's, it's a little bit more technical and it's a little bit more language-focused, but as the course progresses, you can choose in which language you code, and you're not boxed into this way of thinking. And at, at the end of the course, it actually your last project in the course is create something amazing. Right. So you can choose which language, which, whatever, however you do it, you just have to create something amazing. But at the beginning of the course, there is the fundamentals. There is um, how to set up a network properly. properly. It, uh, you do learn the basics, but as it progresses, you can choose which language and you're not boxed into a certain way of thinking. And yeah, like I said, um, create something amazing. That, that's your last project, which we really like and which we're really excited about. Well, I think one of the things I'm liking about what I hear here is that you guys are going to spend or get the students to spend a significant amount of time. This is not just a three to six month course. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So they're going to have time to mature in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're not just doing a little boot camp, learning a little bit. They are proper software engineers that they're all rounded. They've learned almost anything and everything about everything. And 
they yeah they can solve problems they can they can do almost anything like like just you know, said we we don't teach them anything but they can do everything and that's that's the kind of guys we want from the schools and it it plays nicely into I, I don't know if any of you have read or listened to um Daniel Pink's uh, drive book the, the the most important part with giving people you know to, to get the best out of people is that they need three things. They need autonomy, they need a sense of mastery, and they need a sense of purpose. And from your, your take-on process, you're going to have those people with a purpose. And then the way the curriculum is set up is, you know, they're going to have the autonomy and they're going to end up, you know, mastering the tools that they are working with. Because if they don't master those tools, they're not going to pass those gates, it's as simple right. as that. So that is that is cool. I mean, we. I mean, I was so excited to get last night. I tried to go to bed at ten o'clock, and the last time I looked at my watch, it was three. And all I was thinking about is, is what difference we can make if we can do this successfully. So, I mean, the pressure is on for us to make sure we can make all these dreams a reality and execute on it properly, so that we can um, make sure we we can change the course of the country. So, for me, the big question is, where do you sign up? Like, where do people sign up? How can they get involved? You know, are you taking company sponsorships? Correct. So, so the sort of timelines for us is that we are uh, we're talking to, we want two things. We're looking for founding partners, companies to contribute um, to help us set up the infrastructure. And then we are looking for um, companies to sponsor students. That's sort of the process we're going through between now and June, around June, July. Then for about a three-month period, hopefully we'll have the funding we needed. And then for three-month period, we'll start taking applications. And then the first boot camp or swimming pool will be around November. We'll have another one around January. And then the first class to, to start around um, March of next year. That's that's amazing. So yeah, just uh, let us know where we can get more involved. No, sure. I mean, we've got the Facebook page up. We've got a LinkedIn. Follow us on Facebook. Like it. Uh, like it on Facebook. Follow us on LinkedIn. And um, we also have a Twitter account that we'll keep posting updates. And um, I mean, anybody who's keen to become involved as a corporate, please let us know, and we'll come chat to you, show you the presentation and and and, and the numbers and what's involved. But I mean, in the long term, what we want to try and do is give as big a portion of these, of these 3.4 million unemployed South African with the aptitude to learning access to a world-class curriculum so that we can make them world-class programmers and, and hopefully help them build a career and help the country for uh, actual very needed skills shortage. And if, if we can make the dream reality of, of sourcing and developing 100,000 developers in the course of the next next 10 to 20 years then we can we can we really believe we can we can make a fundamental shift uh, in the country because if we can give a guy a job he can look after himself and his family and we can give him hope then we can make sure that we don't have these social issues that we have uh, currently in the country and fundamentally i believe that, that the economic struggles that our country faces at the root of all of the social things that we see happening that none of us actually want want to happen. And unless we solve this economic challenge and give economic, not even just prosperity, just uplift more people out of poverty, we're not going to solve these other problems unless we do that. And this is just our attempt to try and make a dent in that. Thank you, man. That's, that's really like an honorable thing to do. And it's inspiring. It's inspiring yeah. as hell. It really, really is. So, yeah, yep, um, anything else, uh, Peter, Len, anything more from your guys' side? My mind is just, it's blown. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just well, in so this, <laughs> um, is, is there anything more from, from um, you know, we think code side that, that uh, you'd like to touch on that, that we haven't spoken about yet? Nothing that immediately jumps to mind, Arlene. Uh, not really, no. We're just very excited. We're excited to find these guys. We think there's there's so much potential. There's so much talent, and um, I'm I'm in love with this country, and I believe there's so much that we can do here. And we're just so excited to unlock this uh, this untapped potential that's here. And I think amazing things is going to come from this. And very excited to to embark on this journey. No, I agree um, with you. 
to you and mm -hmm. your listeners, we're just looking for evangelists. We're looking for people who um, believe in this course and can help us open the doors to, to sponsorships, to students, to everything we need to put this together. I mean, I don't know if I've said so far, but the, the, this isn't the, we're not building a business. We're starting an NGO. Whose sole purpose in life is to invest back in the community and make sure we build something that can that can contribute. So we're not trying yeah. to make it's not a for profit venture. It, we believe it's going to be sustainable. We believe we have model and enough thought has gone into it on how we can make it sustainable. But it's not yet to create wealth for shareholders. It's yet to change the community and to change the country. And I mean, you guys have definitely been inspiring other people already because I'm not sure if you had a, a presentation or something on this a, a few weeks back. But I mean, I had people on Twitter immediately say, look, we need to get you guys on the show. I had messages on the Slack channel. I had direct messages. I had an email from somebody else. So you're definitely igniting a spark within people. There, there, there are a lot of other people that definitely see the promise in this. Which is always a good thing, you know. It, it, it's one thing when people get excited with you when you're in the room, but it's a completely yeah. different thing when that spark remains in the people, you know, you know, days after you've spoken to them. So I, I, I wish you both and and you know the entire team all the luck in the world. We will definitely, you know, I, I think maybe what we'll do is in a few months' time bring you back bring you back on the podcast let's you know let's chat again find out what the progress has been like be awesome, man. and then we obviously have, and then yeah. obviously once you guys get started next year you know maybe one or two students on the show as well you know oh, get awesome. get first hand uh, first hand chat from from them you know what the experience is like and you know and so we'll, we'll keep going Mm. Yeah, that'll be amazing. And perhaps the guys in the boot camp, let's see how they do on the, that four-week boot camp. We'll get some of the guys on the show. I think that would be great. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Thanks cool. for your time, guys. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, Len, Peter, to be honest, I don't really have any picks for tonight. I don't know if you guys want to run through any form of picks tonight. Born to code. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah no, no. We'll definitely, we'll definitely add that. Mm. Um, Peter, any like, specific pick or anything that you want to punt? No, I just want to um, say exactly what uh, Len just said. So. <laughs> okay, cool. So I think everybody's pick tonight is, is borntocode.co.za. And I'm, I'm very happy with that. I would hate... Uh, like, so I, I had picks when the show got started, but I, I'm... Like I don't want anything to take away from 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 this. So, um, Justinus, Arlene, could could you maybe just each give us um, an idea of where we can follow you, um, and then you know where we can follow up more on We Think Code. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, sorry, we've got a we've got a Facebook page, We Think Code. We've got a Twitter account, We Think Code, um, and then our website, um, Born to Code at Sierra and then, well, I'm on Twitter and just you know, on Twilene Mother, just in advance. I'm not sure what else there is. That's perfect. From that's, your side. that's perfect. Uh, that's it. Sounds good. Awesome. Justinus, Arlene, thank you. Thank you very, very much. I'm really sorry that, um, is it, is it Yoshi? Yes. Yeah, I, I I don't know why the, the well, I don't know why I couldn't get onto the Skype call. It's a pity, but yeah, from from our side, good luck. Thank you very much for being on the show and for and for sharing sharing everything that you guys are busy with. Thanks very much. Uh, thanks, thanks good to you guys, and thanks for sharing our passion and our enthusiasm for this this incredible journey that we are. On. Yeah, 